0: I pray, God, I pray for impartation, and I pray that these wouldn't just be things that we have head knowledge about, but experiential knowledge, God, I pray that you would impart these gifts uh, to each one of them, Lord, as the Spirit wills, in Jesus' name. All right, so the title of this teaching series is going to be The Seven Serving Gifts. Those gifts are Teaching and Preaching. Leadership, service, administration, discernment, giving, and mercy. Uh, but today we're going to be teaching on the first one uh, I have on the list here, which is administration the gift of administration. But you understand that all of these gifts, why um, they're called, and I'm titling them the serving gifts, is because these seven gifts are primarily for uh, or to function inside of community. And they are meant to serve others. That These are not gifts to puff up. These are not gifts to make you look smart, to make you look talented. They are literally given by the Lord to benefit others, that you would serve everyone for the benefit of them and not only yourself and for the glory of God. And so these seven serving gifts are very important, and we're we're going to be going over really specifically how they operate within the context of the community, um, how we see them operate within our community, our doctrine on it, if you will, um, and to how you can identify them, what they are, what they are not, um, uh, how we should respond to them, um, and Again, we're going to also be showing you where they're at in scripture. So, I'm going to be showing you how they manifested in the early church um, and, and really get down into the Greek meaning of what the words are. And so that we can, one, um, better understand God's structure. How many of you know, like, we totally are against the spirit of religion? Um, like, we totally want the Holy Spirit to flow. But, God is a God of order, and God does have a structure, and God did set things and certain things in place to operate in a certain way. Uh, We talk a lot about wisdom uh, in our community, and, you know, we define wisdom as the how-to of God, the blueprint from heaven. You know, you can have knowledge but not know how to apply it. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. It is how I apply what I know about God in God's way. I can apply what I know about God in a way that's not godly and still have the knowledge. I can know a lot about God and not know God in his heart. And so um, he does have a way that he does things, and that's really what we're looking for here in the seven serving gifts is understanding God's heart in them and how they function within the body And so that we can better come in a line with um, the way that the Lord would have us love each other, serve each other, to serve this uh, at this new location uh, we're moving to soon. And and the people that God will bring in. And I really think it'll help us to grow uh, as a community and as a body in the Lord. Amen. 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 So um, our scripture... For the seven serving gifts, uh, the entire teaching is going to be, our, our core scripture is going to be first, or our key scripture, sorry, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, and it says this, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now we know grace has multiple definitions it means the unmerited favor of God it means that you got what you didn't deserve but it also means a divine ability it's something that you could not have unless God gave it to you right it's by the grace of God that we live holy right why we've been un- it's it's his unmerited favor that he deemed us holy but it's his divine ability that he gives us to live holy it's his power working in us mm-hmm. not our power alone so so it's very important that we Um, Take note here of what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you. That's the context of what he's saying. The grace that's been given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him. So you were made full by him. You were enriched by him, by Christ. In all utterance, speaking, and knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. What is that? That the gospel was made evident in that you were saved. Mm -hmm. You know, the testimony of Jesus and what he did and that he saved you and that he washed you and that he cleansed you and that he filled you, it was made evident in you. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. So that you come short in no gift. So what's Paul saying here? It's the desire of the Holy Spirit. He's pinning it through Paul. That we would, as a body of Christ, he's writing this letter to a church, so he's speaking to a body of believers, and he's saying that all of this sums up that you bring a witness to Jesus, and and what that you come short in no gift, that every gift that God has would be made manifest among you. That's what he's saying. But he says this eagerly waiting for the re- revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So. In in Revelation here, what he's talking about is the revealing of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. So basically he's saying, I thank God always concerning you for the divine ability God has given to you by Christ, that you are filled with everything in him, all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. I don't want you to come short in any gift. The Lord doesn't want you short in any gift as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Meaning this, what? Grow up into maturity, be filled, and have the fullness of God operating in you. We know this is Paul's thought life when he tells, um, I can't remember if it's in this letter or in another letter. Please forgive me. Uh, but he, he says, all the gifts work, I believe it's Ephesians, all the gifts working together, what? And we say it often, so that we can display the full measure of the man. I need the gift in you, you need the gift in me, we need the gift in Dylan, we need the gift in Mary, to be made manifest, that we would come short in no gift, recognize it, and receive it as from the Lord. Why? So that we can mature into Christ as we eagerly, eagerly, excuse me, await his return. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. Then it says, who will also confirm you to the end, meaning he'll keep you, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next verse I have here is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. So you should eagerly desire the most helpful gifts. I love the way this translation puts it. You should eagerly desire the most helpful gifts. Uh, one translation puts it the best gifts. But I love this language, the most helpful gifts. Why? Because it really shares the heart of the Lord. That these gifts are not for us to look amazing, but they are to serve and minister to others. These gifts are not about us. They are about others. Every one of these gifts we're going to be talking about, some of them may get more attention than others. Some of them may, through um, a worldly perspective or a carnal lens, look more prestigious than others. But they're really not about the person who has the gift. They're actually about the people the person is serving with the gift. God does not give a gift to you or I for ourselves. He gives it to us for the benefit of others. So the first gift we're going to talk about is the gift of administration. Um, you'll find this listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, and it says this. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps or service, administrations, and varieties of tongues. It's very interesting the way this is worded. Because he mentions apostle, prophet, teacher, and we know, um, I believe it's in Ephesians, he says Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, which tells me that if there's a separation, bless you, if there's a separation of uh, of the office offices of apostle, prophet, and teacher in the gift of administration, that you can actually be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, and not have the gift of administration. What do you mean? Well, I, I've seen it happen. I've seen some of the most anointed, appointed, gifted evangelists absolutely not be called to operate in any level of administration. That when they touch it, there's just not a grace and an oil for it. And instead, there's somebody else who's there to operate in that gift of administration and serve and assist the call on their life and help benefit. And they need each other and it brings a fuller picture. Does that make sense? I'm sure if many of you now, as we're talking about it, Times have run through your mind where you've probably seen that. All right? So, so what is the gift of administration? Let, let's define it. Oh, actually, I want to point this out, too. You can have the gift of administration and not be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. There makes a distinction. Often, especially with the apostolic, you will see uh, most, all, most often the apostolic is married to the, the gift of administration. They are really commingle together and we're going to get into that uh, most often. Again, not always as scripture um, mm-hmm. defines them and separates them here for a reason. Um, but I want to point out that you can have the gift of administration and not be called as a five-fold minister into the body of Christ as well. Mm-hmm. So what is administrations? Well, it's the Greek word Cobernais or kubernasis, sorry. Kubernasis is how you pronounce it. It's spelled in the group in Greek, obviously. K-U-B-E-R N E S I S. K-U-B-E-R N E S I S. Pronounced Kubernasis. Kubernasis. It is a governing uh or government it's from cuberneo of Latin origin meaning to steer properly like someone who steers or guides a ship figuratively it is the divine calling which empowers someone to lead in affairs relating to the church a helmsman who steers it refers to a pilot a captain, a director who guides, administrates, or etc. It's the ability to give wise counsel as well. It's coupled in ability to give wise counsel. So administration in the Greek, the meaning of the word is like the captain who steers the ship. He is the one, an administrator within the body of Christ is someone who leads in the affairs relating to the church. A helmsman who steers it in the direction. I absolutely love this wording and this language in the Greek. Why? Because what, it, what an administrator is not is a dictator. A helmsman of the ship is still dependent upon all the other members of the ship. A helmsman, it's really hard for them to operate without their first mate. It's really hard for them to operate without the person if and you want to do it in modern terms this was certainly not used in, in, in with ships that we have nowadays but if you want to put it in the context of 2020 go on any major warship in the fleet in in our uh, our nation's fleet in America and And look at all the panels and all the controls and all that. That helmsman, that guy steering that ship, that captain has absolutely no hope of doing his job without all the other ones looking at the radar, uh, looking at the weather and what's coming and the report of this person. And often, um, even back then, you know, you would have to have people stationed on the different sides of the ship to look for icebergs, to look for, um, you know, reefs or things that you may Run amok, and his job is dependent. His steering is still dependent upon uh, the other people doing their job properly. And I, I love that because it doesn't um, it doesn't paint a picture of a leader that is on an island unto themselves. That's just standing there. Well, you know, I hear from God and I give the directives, and that's what we do. There is still a collabor collaborative um, leading, if you will. It takes the whole for even the administrator to do their work. But someone with the gift of administration has that ability to be the quote unquote person um, making and governing and steering the ship of the church. Does that make sense? Okay, Uh, you find this in in scripture in 1st Titus chapter 1 verse 4 through 5. And uh, I'm going to read that for you. It says, for this reason, I left you in Crete. This is Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Titus, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. So that word elder is someone who in the context of the church would sh- would and should have the gift of administration. It says, appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. And then it goes on to tell you the requirements of someone being appointed to this role. They, um, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. Why did he say the husband of one wife? We well, said the husband of one wife because, and this, this scripture is often taken out of context um, because people have, you know, whether before they got born again, they were married and they got divorced. Or maybe they were even they were even married in the church and they had a spouse that that committed adultery and according to scripture they got a divorce um, according to what's lawful in scripture. Um, many have tried to use this scripture to disqualify people from being elected elders because of that. But actually what Paul is speaking to here is that people that that, that he's speaking to, they would have multiple wives. And so if you got born again, in this culture, so say we come, we, we, we travel to a nation and they have uh, multiple, um, Their in their culture it's acceptable to have multiple wives. And they get born again. Do you think those guys are now just picking a wife and divorcing the other ones? And like, no, I'm not going to take care of her or her kids anymore. I'm only going to take care of the kids and I'm going to choose one wife. Absolutely not. That's not the heart of God. That's not what would happen. What would happen is uh you would accept them that man would be a christian with multiple wives however you would teach the next generation and you would teach the children hey listen you know it, uh, the lord commanded that you have one wife and you would then impart kingdom culture you wouldn't exclude those people from part of the fellowship they would still be accepted even though they had multiple wives but what paul is saying is don't appoint someone that has two wives he should have one wife that's what that's what paul's saying uh, I just want to I want to make that clear. Obviously, if people are just getting divorced because of irreconcilable differences and this and that, you know, that's an entirely different story. Uh, love you, but I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of, kind of remove and disempower that twisting of scripture while while we're here. Um, then it goes on to say, the husband of one wife having faithful children. Not accused of dispensation or insubordination, so they are—they uh, are not rebellious, they are not disrespectful to leadership. That's to be insubordinate. How many of you've ever, um, you know, seen someone be disrespectful or insubordinate to their supervisor? Insubordination is like this: um, someone who has every right and authority to give a directive. And they, someone just refuses. And again, we're not talking about like an ungodly, or directive. We're talking about you know this is hey, can you pick this up? And the board's like, I ain't doing that. Get out of here. That would be insubordination. Um, for an overseer, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable. A lover of what is good. What does hospitable mean? It means you don't get mad when people show up at your house. It means if you're like, well, this is mine and I don't want you to be a part of it. Hospitable, it, hospitable sorry, is I'm very inviting. You are welcome here. What is mine is your, the Lord Jesus was so hospitable. I mean, he takes 12 men, you know, and he's like, hey, yeah, come live with me everywhere I go. You know, he displayed the ultimate form of hospitality. Everything he had. Is yours, you know? That'd be hard. Yeah, all the time. All the time, but no one was more hospitable than Jesus, or is more hospitable Jesus than Jesus. Went off by himself occasionally. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He did. Yeah, <laughs> for recharge, that's called. That's called balance. You <laughs> know, <That's right. laughs> a lover of what is good, sober-minded. Do you know what sober-minded means? No, it, it's actually not. A lot of people think when they when they hear sober minded, uh, and actually this is again another twist uh, scripture that gets twisted, especially when you talk about being intoxicated with the spirit. The Bible's like, well, the Bible says, or people, the Bible's like, people are like, well, you you know, the Bible says not to be, uh, or to be sober minded. So these people that are getting saying they're getting you know filled with the spirit, intoxicated with the spirit, you know, you're not being biblical but that's not what sober minded means sober minded means to not think too highly of yourself sober minded means to have a rational and clear judgment of where you're at in life so it's like mm-hmm. basically being humble to yourself it's to being be humble yourself. yeah it's not thinking too highly of yourself mm-hmm. it's it's but but at the same time you know it's like it's like also sober minded also has in it not beating your putting yourself down so when you're sober-minded, you're not puffing yourself up, but you're also not putting yourself down. Oh, no. So you're not saying, I'm just some yeah, terrible reality. person. I'm just this. Yeah. I'm just that. No. What do you say? Reality. It's reality. Sober-mindedness is living in reality. Yeah. Knowing, uh, your, being, knowing your own worth. Yes. Know it. it's not like up and down, but like. Exactly. Being steady. Yeah. Being so, being clear-headed. It's like, it's like this. If, you know. I go around acting like I'm a millionaire, but I got a thousand bucks in my in, in the bank. I'm not living sober-minded, you know? But if I, you know, have a million dollars in the bank and I act like I have a dollar, I'm still not being sober. Does that make sense? I'm trying to use something we can all relate to. It's being sober-minded. It's like uh, someone who gets born again in the first week, they feel like they're, you know, the prophet to the nations, you, you know what I mean? They're not living sober-minded. They they must grow in the Lord. You're still a babe in Christ, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, you don't need help. You don't need assistance. You don't need guidance. You don't need, you know, I've got this thing figured out. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. Not being sober-minded. You, you know, me, uh, uh, personally, I'll just speak to my own life as a leader. Uh, you know, we we've had a church now two years. We're coming up on our two-year mark. And so I have to be sober minded in that, you know, does God give grace and divine ability? Absolutely. But the last thing in the world you want to do is like, yeah, well, bless God, brother. I've been doing this for two years. I got, I got this thing figured out. No, no, there's probably a lot of things that haven't happened yet that we really don't have a grid for. And there's just some things in life that, you know, you're, you're not prepared for them until they happen. You know, you won't know, like, like you could be as prepared as you want to for children. But, but when that baby comes, everything changes, you know, everything changes. We could be prepared as we want to for this building that's coming. But when we get in there. There's probably going to be some things that we're going to have to navigate that we don't see coming. But being sober-minded allows you to be aware of that and hear God clearly for that situation. Someone who's not sober-minded, they'll get so puffed up and so caught up and think they got it all figured out that it actually pigeonholes their ability to hear from the Lord. This is why Paul's saying they must be sober-minded. Just, they have to be just, holy, self-controlled. Self-controlled, so key, mm-hmm. holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict it. So, an overseer, a, a one who is an administrator within the body of Christ, one who pilots and steers, must have the ability to uh, and an understanding of sound doctrine and the ability to exhort and convict those who would contradict sound doctrine. We're talking about the six foundational doctrines of Christianity that we went through uh, before. So I want to show you um, an example of these elders and those operating in um, the gift of administrations in 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 the Bible and in the context of the early church. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, and it's going to be verses 1 through 24. Acts 15, verses 1 through 24. And a certain man came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. I love this. Uh, You know why I love this? Because, man, this is the apostle Paul. You want to talk about somebody? Writing to Titus, telling them to be sober-minded. You want to talk about somebody operating in a sober mind? This is the Apostle Paul, y'all. You know, penned one third of your New Testament. Waited two years to stand before Nero. Yeah, man. Come on. Under house arrest. In shackles and chains for the gospel, and 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 is the one sent to the Gentiles. And has the really does have the authority to say, hey, this ain't for the Gentiles. But what does he do? What does he do? He operates being sober minded mm-hmm. and he goes to seek, he goes to those who are in authority and he doesn't take it upon himself. And listen to what he does. He goes to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia. And Samaria, describing the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, so they were believing Pharisees, they followed Jesus, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. The apostles and, I love that there's a distinction. There's a distinction here. The apostles and the elders, elders being those who have the gift of administration, have met the qualifications that Paul lists in Titus, and are serving alongside the apostles. It says the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. I love this because still even in this, you don't see it's not just the apostles. When it says the apostles in this, it's talking about the original 12. Well, 11, because Judas is gone and then Matthias is added. So it's the original 11 and Matthias. It's talking about the, these apostles that walked with Jesus. And they don't even decide, they don't even try to do this matter on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they recognize the administrative gift in others and they bring them into the conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the first major disputes in the church. And they're not operating as dictators, but those who have been empowered and equipped to steer the church. Mm -hmm. And they come together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, so. So they were not in agreement. (laughs) Peter rose up. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's speaking to when he went to Cornelius's house and the Holy Spirit fell. He said, so God who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, Basically, the Holy Spirit fall, f- falling on them was evidence of God's acceptance of them mm-hmm. uh, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James, this is the brother of Jesus, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased, listen to this, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by the by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren. I, I love that because they're very inclusive here. They're not like, yeah, Peter said. You notice that? To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cecilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such command. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. Listen to this. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What does that mean? That means that it made sense logically to them and it did not grieve the Spirit. That it bore witness with all of them and it made sense to lay upon you no greater burden than these things necessary these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols from blood from things strangled and from sexual immorality if you keep yourselves from these you will do well sorry i read all the way to verse 29 but i think i think it was important so what what i want you to see here is that that gift of administration does carry the weight and authority to to hear heaven and to decree a thing on how it should be done in the church. That there is an authority given, a grace, a divine ability, a gift to govern and steer the church uh, uh, according to the leading of the Spirit, a grace from Him that also carries an authority that is able to issue it. However, the heart of God is that that administrative gift still be operated in in the fear of the Lord and in humility. This letter is bathed in humility. They did not pin this letter and say, yeah, Peter stood up and really this is all Peter and Peter gets the credit and Peter needs this, Peter needs that. That's, that's not what it says here. Even though Peter did say and so did James. But you don't see it mentioning either one by name. What you see is Apostles, the elders, and the brethren. And the brethren. So it's interesting because there is an, a, a distinction in authority. Apostles, elders, and brethren. There's a distinction in authority here that has to be recognized as well. But in that, there is a humility from the leaders from the administrators, from those steering the ship, which I think is super important. And sometimes when we talk about submission to leadership and we talk about authority in the in the church and spiritual authority, which are very real things in, in, in all throughout the, the Bible, from Genesis to revelations, there is uh, men and women of God in authority and they are to be honored and respected and we'll talk about that in a minute. but that does not remove them, Uh, or give them the right to not operate in those roles in the character and nature of God, having the wisdom of God and operating in the way the Lord would have. The Lord directly rebuked the apostles and said, you are not to be like the Gentiles, lording it over each other. But the greatest of you should be the least of you. The greatest of you is the servant of all, because not even me, the spotless, uh, blemishless lamb of God, Came here to be served, but to serve and lay my life down as a ransom to me. That's Jesus. That's the God we serve, and that's the model of leadership and should be should be the standard in the church. Unfortunately, many have taken titles and 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 lorded it over people and taken the some truth in Scripture about spiritual authority and honor and the honor due authority and they have twisted it and manipulated it and and taken it upon themselves and demanded honor and um, and really almost uh, become like this quote unquote special class amongst the believers but I just in everything I just read I just don't see that kind of behavior from from the elders uh, or, or the apostles. You see a maturity like Peter doesn't need to convince you that he he's in a was one of the he doesn't like, like he doesn't have to convince you that he has the authority. He just talks. And of course, this is Peter. And, you know, they, I'm sure they remember Ananias and Sapphira. But, uh, you, you know, this is that's that's a really real thing. We're not going to go in today to today. But um, but does this make sense? Do you see the maturity in the character and why in Titus all those things are needed? Because take somebody that don't meet the qualifications in Titus and throw them into one of these positions and it don't happen like this. And and I've just seen it. Um, So I really want us to understand uh, within the context of community in the body of Christ, the operation of the gift of administration, both the weight it carries, the authority it does have for decision making. Like they literally penned a decree and sent it out saying, yeah, these are commands from the Holy Spirit in us. Mm -hmm. And they have the authority like, hey, as for us, these are the things we're not going to do. We are not going to uh, partake with things offered to idols. uh, From blood, from things strangled, and we're going to keep ourselves from sexual immorality. They have the authority to do that. So an administrator, somebody with administrative gift, an elder, a leader in the body of Christ, the person at the helm or persons at the helm of the ship of the community has the authority to say things like that to say hey listen in our community sexual morality is not accepted. And Paul does that. You read it in Paul's letters. He he did it. He did it well. But also Paul does it with grace in the redemptive nature of God. And so we don't want to we don't want to lean either way, you know. We don't want to throw out spiritual authority in in honor and, and just throw it out because, you know, it's been a misused and abused. Mm-hmm. But what we also don't want to do is allow it to, uh, people to operate in a way that does misuse and abuse. We need to find the wisdom in the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Logic. Yeah. And, and what seems logical, and as long as it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The trouble with logic is, is that if you talk, to yourself enough about it you can use logic to justify just about anything. Yeah. can't. So if you've convinced yourself that it seems logical but it grieves the Holy Spirit, that's yeah. not the course of action yeah. you want to take. And there's sometimes that the Holy Spirit is leading you into something that absolutely does not seem logical. And ultimately the rule of thumb is obey the the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um yeah that that's, that's good. wonderful. Uh let's so so, what is the role then, again, of this administrator? It's to organize. We see that. They organized. What do they do? They organized the other leaders, the other brethren, the other body. It's to raise people up. What did they do? They sent out Paul and Barnabas. They sent out Silas and Barsabas. right? They sent them to them. So, they organized. They raised up. They put in place, that is one of the roles of an administrator, to put in place, to like put in a socket. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like I can have all the tools in the world, but they're and they they not using their right place and the right function, they ain't doing nothing. You know, if I take um, a ratchet and put it in the hand of somebody that's trying to weld, are they gonna get much done? No. If I take a welder and put it in the hand of a car mechanic who's trying to turn a bolt, nothing's getting done. Things have to be put in their proper order, and part of the grace on an administrator is to see those working parts and set them in the right place. And and again, carrying the authority to be able to say that and place that. Does that make sense? And then uh, they are able to impart. We see that later with Paul talking about imparting spiritual gifts. They're able to impart grace and and, and things like that, um, that comes through the Holy, it's all by the spirit. It has nothing really to do with, with the person. It's all by the spirit mm-hmm. and to steer the ship. Again, we see them They're, they're, they're directing a course of the church here. Mm-hmm. How do we know that this argument arose amongst them? Hey, y'all need to be circumcised and follow the law. They're like, well, let's go pray about it. Take a seat, let's let's hear from the Lord. And then they come back and make a decree with every right and authority to make that decree and to steer the ship of the church in that direction. That, hey, these are the things we're saying as of right now, you need to stay away from. If you do this, you'll do well. They had the authority in place to do that and the grace from God and the gift of administration in order to do that. And, uh, And they rely, a ministry I have here as a side note, administrators rely heavily on the gift of wisdom, the how-to of God. Why? Because, again, they can have all the knowledge in the world, but no wisdom, you're not doing it in God's way. And we just see a beautiful picture here in the in Acts chapter 15 of the, the administ- those with the gift of administration operating in the body of Christ in wisdom and the heart of God. It's just, I mean, this is a major conflict, you know, you're talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant here. And they just do it with so much grace. They make room for people that disagree. They totally made room for them to talk. They heard them out. They didn't shut them down. They didn't come in and say, well, we're the apostles and we say so and this and that. No, 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 no. They didn't do that. They listened. At, but at the end of the day, they did have the authority and the place to say, hey, this is what we're doing. And what I love is is uh, is uh you don't hear... um. You, you you don't hear about the Pharisees that disagree, running away and getting mad and leaving. You, you hear them submit to the authority that was given to the apostles and the elders and say, Okay, they thought about it, seems good to the Holy Spirit in them. So we know God has called us here, God has brought us in. We believe Jesus. This is the way, these are the ones he's given the grace to. It, it bears witness with them. It lines up with scripture. They gave us scripture. They did that. Did you notice? They gave scripture. They wrote out of it. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. They're quoting scripture. They're they're showing you it's there. And what did they do? They submitted to uh, that decree. I, I think it's just a beautiful, beautifully operated uh, uh, moment of that gift of administration in the church. Um, let's go on to 1 Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen. 1 Timothy chapter five, and this will be our last um, portion of scripture. First Timothy, chapter five, verse 17. Okay, so again, here's Paul laying it out for us. I love Paul. He didn't pull very many punches, you know, but he was a master at cracking you in the head with a two by four and making you feel like you were kissed. You know, he just was a master about it. It says this, let the elders who rule. So govern, so steer, so lead the ship. So those with the gift of administration, let the elders who rule, well, which is important, that well is there, because how many you know you can rule and then you can rule well and you can rule unwell. You can administer well and unwell. Mm-hmm. That goes back to that heart and nature of God and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Be counted worthy of double honor. Mm-hmm. This is the part we don't want to neglect. E- e- even though this has been misused and abused. It just has. Well, you owe me honor. Listen, you should, that should never come out of a person. Again, I just don't see Peter demanding honor. Matter of fact, I just see the Holy Spirit back him. I just see, like, all he had to do was say, yeah, you lied to the Holy Ghost. Like, you know, anyway, where I could go on that. But, but um. let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, Mm -hmm. especially those who preach and teach. So there's even a, um, so it's saying shows double honor to those who administer, Mm -hmm. but especially those who administer and preach and teach. So there's even another distinction here, which I love because it means you can be an elder and administrator in the church, and a, a, a one who steers a community and not be a preacher and teacher. That's super freeing. That's <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. super freeing. Mm-hmm. But you can be an elder and administrator in the church and be a, a preacher and teacher. And it says, give double honor to the elders of preacher and teacher. And then especially those who preach and teach. Did you know you can preach and teach and not be an elder? We 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 said that earlier. You can be an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and not be an administrator in the governor. You have a lot of traveling ministers. A lot of itinerant ministers are not elders. They are not, they don't have an administrative gift. They're a gift to the body and they bring and impart and equip. But when it comes to the governing governance of a church in a local body, not all carry that gift. And he says, Those who carry that gift deserve double honor. And especially those, on top of that, that preach and teach as well. Mm-hmm. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Mm-hmm. Do not receive an accusation against an elder, except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also may fear. I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. That's some interesting language. That you observe these things without prejudice and do nothing with partiality. So he's showing you both that you honor, you honor without partiality those who who govern the church, who steer the church, especially those who preach and teach. He said, "Hey, but don't forget, they're held to that standard I wrote in Titus." And if not, and there's accusation from two, you rebuke them in front of everybody. They're not without partiality, like don't be afraid. So it's interesting because bringing correction does not equal dishonor. However, that's often confused. Oh, you're you're being dishonoring to me. No, dishonor is a real deal. How you talk to somebody, how you deal with something, you know. It, it, it people it's a real being disrespectful it, it's a very big real thing um and honor is huge in the kingdom we're not going to teach on honor tonight it's a very big deal uh, but correction and and uh, does not equal dishonor it, it has a lot more to do uh not necessarily with what you're doing but how you're doing it does that make sense it goes back to again hitting over the head with a two by four and feeling like you kissed somebody um they're making them feel like you. They kissed you. Sorry. Uh, I have the the. There's a footnote for this particular verse, and it says, "Elders who govern and feed the church are to be given the double honor of office and a suitable salary. Those who preach and teach should be honored above those who serve in administration." So again, it gives you the two distinction. Um, I do want to wrap up it uh, wrap it up with this that. An administrator is the servant of all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The root word of administrator is minister. Is minister. And to minister is to serve. Is to serve. You are adding ministry. Mm-hmm. Admin. Administry. You're adding I'm I am adding service to you. So a role as an administrator in a body is to come in and look in, in, in place, position, decree, things that will benefit and serve and minister the rest of the body. And there, when you submit to that, there is a grace that comes on your life. Let me tell you, there is a grace that comes on your life. And you will be so blessed and alive and grow in Christ. It's when It's when there's dishonor and rebellion against that, that things kind of get, people kind of start to get off and, and they, they get confused and there's a safety in that. And again, it, 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 it all comes back to those who are trustworthy and meet that, that Titus requirement, mm-hmm. you know, meet that, that Titus requirement. Unfortunately you, you can, in some circles, you can go and get a four year education, get hands laid on you and become a quote-unquote elder or administrator or pastor or whatever title we're we're using and never meet the standards in 1st in Titus. Um, we want to do things relationally here. We want to do things relationally in our community and navigate this, but we also want to rightly define these administrative gifts. That way, when we recognize them, we know how that they are to be treated and what God's heart is in them. Why? Because when we do when we do that, it's not necessarily for the benefit of the administrator. It's actually for the benefit of the body. When we give double honor to the administrators, especially those who preach and teach, when we give honor to our leaders, when we do that, it's actually for the benefit of everyone. Why? You are communicating they are a safe person to, to adhere to, to listen to, and to follow. You're extending that. Paul said that when you become a partner with me in ministry, you're a partaker of the grace on my life. There is a supernatural dynamic to this thing uh, that even goes back to when we first started where Paul's like concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Jesus. And then he goes on, the confirming of the testimony. Why? Because he preached to him. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord. Yes, yes. Doing things God's way. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of administration. And I pray, whomever you will, uh, raise them up amongst us, Lord. Um, increase it in my life. Uh, help us to understand double honor. And uh, help us to understand um, your way, Lord, in wisdom. And understand Uh, the setting in place, Lord, in, in your structure of your kingdom, God, I pray in Jesus' matchless and mighty name, fill with the spirit. Holy Ghost, come. Raise up the administrators. Great grace. Ah, the wisdom of God, man, like may, may as the sons of Issachar were known for discerning the seasons and times, may the encounter be known for the level of wisdom the people walk in. God, I pray seek wisdom above all you said, may we guard our hearts and seek your wisdom in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you.